Hello and welcome to Automators. My name is Rosemary Orchard and I am here to talk to you about automating everything in your life with my co-host David Sparks. Hey David, how are you today? I am great, Rose, and uh, this is an episode I've been looking forward to because we're automating Rosemary Orchard today. Yeah, yeah. Just when you thought that I couldn't be any more automated, I got a Stream Deck pedal and uh, the entire thing just went out the window. Yeah, we both got a Stream Deck pedals. We're going to talk about that later in the episode. But the, the key today is we did an episode a few months ago where I kind of walked through the main automation stuff I'm doing. And I'm like, do you think we could do you, Rose? And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, do you think we could do it within five hours? And you're like, no promises. So here we are, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't hear you say hours. I thought you said years. Okay, so, um, well, there we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might we might have a bit to talk about today. It's okay. This is what show notes are for. We can come back to them next time. Yeah, but before we do that, we've got some exciting news. The Automators uh, now has a membership program, and it's got the best name. It's Automators Max. Uh, so if you're interested in signing up for Automators Max, you get a f- ad-free version of the show every week. So uh, you get the show songs, ads, uh, you get an extended version of the show. We're going to add a, an additional segment at the end of each show. Um, you get all the other Relay goodies that come with being a member of any Relay show, newsletter, Discord membership, crossover. Uh, they have some downloads like show art and things. And it's $5 a month or $50 a year. If you'd like to support the show, we'd love it. Yeah, it would be really great because, you know, we're going to give you all of the extras and you're going to hopefully really, really enjoy it along with all the Great Relay FM membership extras as well. Yeah, and we're starting with this episode. So if you're listening right now and you're sold, go sign up and you can re-download this episode as Automators Max. And the artwork looks kind of awesome too. I'll have to say that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's purple in there. Yeah. We might have pulled some strings to get some purple in there, but I'm, I'm very happy with the purple. All right. Well, uh, that's a thing uh, that will be going on going forward. And uh, we thank you for your support. If you don't want to sign up for Automators Max, we're still giving you a great show. Going to just keep doing it. But, you know, Max is there for people who want it. Uh, But we're here today to talk about Rose and how she does her automation. And the the starting point, as so often, is document automation. I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And I know you've put a lot of thought into it. So let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's where I started with document management is actually a pretty good place to talk about because where I started with document management was a humongous downloads folder, um, which was quite frankly, almost embarrassing um, and a really badly organized documents folder and Dropbox and so on and so forth. And the way that I fixed it was by automating it. So I essentially created automations for the file at the top of the stack and then ran um, the automations over those, primarily using Hazel, um, to get rid of everything like that, which meant that every time I got rid of one kind of thing, I was getting rid of all of the other kinds that fitted into that category. So for example, screenshots. Um, I save screenshots to my downloads folder and they disappear after 24 hours unless I put them somewhere else. Um, So if I want to keep them, I move them. But otherwise, it lands in my downloads folder and then 24 hours later, it's gone. Bam. Um, And that cleared out a whole bunch of things pretty quickly once I started 
you know, chipping away at it because it meant that I was creating a rule. I had a whole bunch of really useful um, data to see whether or not, you know, things would fall into it because I was using Hazel's try feature where you can click on the eye um, and then it'll, you'll see whether or not a file falls into those rules or not and whether or not things will be applied. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I really got started because the step one was like clearing out all of the rubbish because there is just so much stuff like ICS files. You know, when you download an ICS file, you just want an event in your calendar. So what I do is I have Hazel immediately open the ICS file uh, using Fantastical, and then six hours later, it deletes it. If I've not managed to click the add to calendar button in that time period, um, then I assume that I'm not really that interested in the event and it will pop up an error when I eventually try to click um, add and I can retrieve it because trash gets emptied after 24 hours. But it is, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I tried to start with the really simple stuff, primarily the downloads folder, because that's where all the stuff ends up, of course. Um, and it made, you know, it made a big difference because it meant that I had suddenly piles of files that I could see and go, right, well, this is the kind of thing that I need over here. And I guess I want to keep that sort of stuff, um, which is always a good place to get started. Yeah, I think that's a, a way a lot of people do it. And I think it's really wise to have like a central place where automation points. And mm -hmm. then you can, you can, I like the word chipping away at it. Because I don't think this is something where you need to spend a weekend writing a script for every mm -hmm. type of file in there. You just kind of do yeah. it as you open the, the folder and say, wow, what are you doing here? And how long have you been here? And what can I do to make sure I don't have to see you ever again? And then you just make a Hazel or a DevonThink or whatever your, your system is. You, you make a rule to deal with that category. And it's fun because then after a while, it really becomes like, you know, when you start out the process, there may be a hundred or a thousand files in that folder. But then after you do it a while, you're like, oh, there's three files in here. It's like you're personally offended. How did these three files get through all my rules? You know, how did they slip through the cracks? <laughs> so, so then you start coming up with things. And it, before you know it, you've got a very thorough system. Now, um, well, yeah. I like that you're doing it in the downloads folder because I do that in the action folder. And it's just a folder I created called action that I point all the rules at. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a bad idea to just put it in downloads because, like you said, stuff goes there naturally anyway. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes more sense or less sense than the action versus like downloads. The nice thing about the action is you deliberately put it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's an extra step too, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have two, I have both. Um, so I actually have a folder. I've, I mean, I've got three um, because I've got one in iCloud. Um, I've got a folder in Dropbox called automated actions. And then I've got my downloads folder. And yeah. downloads is really where a whole chunk of stuff happens because things do just end up there. And I've done things like change my default screenshot save location to downloads explicitly because I really don't want to keep screenshots for very long. Like I actually use clean shots to take my screenshots most of the time. I um, it automatically puts them on my clipboard. I paste them wherever it needs to go, and I close, and then I, it never actually gets saved, um, which is kind of part of the magic of managing documents. If you can avoid having documents, you don't need to manage them. Yeah. Um, but I do have specific automated actions folders um, inside of iCloud and Dropbox because this means that other things can put fold files and, and things there to be managed. So for example, Zapier will save certain things into subfolders of the automated actions folder in Dropbox for me. Um, and Make, previously known as Integromat, does that as well. And then I have shortcuts, um, of course, and that saves things um, 
historically always save things inside the shortcuts folder. Um, and so that was where my automated actions folder was in iCloud. And I've been able, fortunately, with iOS 15 to move that up a level to the top in, uh, in iCloud, which means that I can have magic happen in those places. Um, and I've got, and I try to keep those folders fairly single purpose, if that makes sense. So I have um, inside of automated actions, a folder called add to DevonThink, which funnily enough, adds everything that gets put in there into DevonThink. Sure. And then that's it. Um, just because I don't, I want it to be very, very obvious when I'm trying to create an automation or I'm doing something on say a phone, which, you know, is not so easy to see document management on, or, you know, massive file paths, that that's where that thing is going. Because the last thing you want is to say, hey, um, you know, put all of the files that I actually wanted to just keep for like 24 hours just in case and then get rid of into DevonThink because when I put something in DevonThink, it's staying there. Yeah. Um, not because it's difficult to delete things, but that's just because I like if, I, if something's going into DevonThink for me, that means that it is something that is a relatively permanent archive. Um, you know, I say relatively because there's always exceptions to the rule. I'm sure when my washing machine breaks, I will delete my washing machine manual. Um, but also, um, you know, I, that, that's one of my solutions. You know, if something is a archive document, you know, I need to keep this. I need to keep this for a long time. It's going in and think. But will you? You know, sometimes you'll look in there and you will find a washing machine manual from 20 years ago. I, maybe you're not old enough yet, but you'll be surprised how much digital detritus you get. I mean, I got my first washing machine manual when I bought um, where I currently live uh, two years ago. The washing machine, I'm pleased to note, is 12 years old now. And I was able to get the manual online. I did some pretty deep Googling to find it. But it was one of those things where actually... Finding that manual was really good because my washing machine was making a really weird noise the other day. Uh -oh. um, like it, it, like it turned out that the drum was just like um, imbalanced. Um, yeah. But I was able to search washing machine manual and found on my machine, and I actually found it. I actually didn't even do that. I opened up my phone because it was in the kitchen and I was hearing the noise. And okay, searching washing machine manual. Okay, noises. Drum is unbalanced. Do this. Yeah. And I'm looking at it going, I have no idea how a washing machine works, but this thing is 12 years old. It's pretty mechanical. Um, if it goes wrong, I have to buy a new one anyway. So I'll give it a try. And it worked. Um, and I was very pleased that I was able to find that so quickly. And it was only because I've set things up and I just, you know, I just named it washing machine manual. It's okay. Like it doesn't need an amazing name in that case, but it is pretty helpful to just have all of that kind of thing at your fingertips when you need it. Um, but also be able to just completely and utterly ignore that group of of documents 99% of the time. Because most of the time, I don't care how my mixer works or my washing machine or things like that. Um, and I don't care about last year's tax return. But I do care that uh, if I get audited, I have last year's tax return. And if my washing machine goes wrong, I have the manual. So it makes sense to be able to keep that information. Yeah, a, a point you made there that I'd like to emphasize is the naming of it, washing machine manual. I know that sounds dumb, but think about future you and what what terms would you search on? And yeah. I, I get that these apps are very powerful and they do OCR. And even if you give it a really obscure name and you type washing machine, it's still probably going to find it. But why not make it easy? And yes, you know, you don't need yeah. to to go crazy. You don't need to even put the name and the brand and everything in the name, but if you just put in the word washing machine, you're making it much easier for your future self to find it. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's and that's one of the things I really do try to work on when it comes to document management is good names. So many things land in, you know, whatever folder it comes into. It comes in as an email attachment or whatever. And somebody's just given it a really bad name. Untitled 179 um, or something. Um, the first thing I try to do whenever I'm creating something actually is give it a name. It could be a working title, but I try to give it a name immediately. Because that means that when I'm inevitably looking for the thing again later, I, uh, you know, I find it. And that is, you know, that's more of a life hack than an automation hack. But it also means um, once I've given it the name, then the automations can put it away in the right place. Um, though I, I should note that on my working directories, the places where I keep files that I'm actively working on, I tend not to have um, automations running specifically unless I tag something. Um, so Hazel will watch my documents folder, but it's only watching for things with the tag done because that way that gets picked up. But until I finish working on it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna find it. Um, I should create a smart folder actually thinking about it now for all the things that I've not touched in like 48 hours, which don't have the done tag, um, just so that I can find those. The the way I solve that problem, because that is an issue, right? Um, the flip yeah. side of this document automation is if you get really good at it, uh, the documents disappear before you do anything with them. And I actually had that happen to me once where it put like, I think it was a water bill. It like filed it for me before I paid it. And I just didn't realize I hadn't paid it. And they sent me a letter. Hey, dude, you haven't paid your bill. And I'm like, oh, I never saw it because Hazel took care of it before I read it, you know? <laughs> And, uh, yeah. so what I do, um, this is kind of a, uh, this is not a very automator technical way to handle it, but so I have the action folder and inside the, that folder, I have three subfolders, one for Max Barkey, one for legal, which is hopefully going away soon. And then one for personal and anything. And I point all the Hazel rules actually at those subfolders. And that allows me to mm -hmm. kind of like parse the Hazel rules based on, what part of my life they're working on. So that makes yeah. it easier to manage them. But the actual action folder doesn't have any rules pointed at it. And that's the one, actually, I take that back. Let me, I'll explain. But the action folder, the only thing the action folder rules do are automatically move things into folders if they're the kinds of things that can be automatically moved. But otherwise, I look through them and then I decide, okay, this one is going to, something I need to pay, I need to make a note or whatever. And then I can put it into the, the personal mm. folder and it'll get filed. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. What I am trying to do with a lot of this, I'm not there yet. And this is a system that until I trust it hundred percent, I'm not going to change things. Um, but what I'm, I'm aiming for is create OmniFocus actions automatically from things like that. Um, so that then it should appear wherever, it, you know, it should appear where I'm going to look for the task itself. Um, but it's not actually going to change. Uh, but I don't need to, you know, manually put the thing somewhere so that it gets handled because that, of course, is where I will fail to do something at some point and then accidentally have a backlog of four water bills that need managing. I actually created an OmniFocus Apple script to do that a few years ago where I could flag it and have it create an OmniFocus task. Um, mm -hmm. but the script broke after a certain amount of time. And just like, if it's not 100% reliable, that is a very dangerous game, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my plan with this, um, the way that I'm trying to structure this is I'm actually doing this, um, with, um, keyboard maestro adding the OmniFocus action. Yeah. Um, because if something goes wrong, then I just have, you know, I just tell keyboard maestro stop 
Like, don't do not do the rest of the macro. Just stop right there. Um, because that means that if there's a file there, it means that something didn't work somewhere. And then I can go and debug. But at the minimum, then I've got the, yeah, well, the file's still here. So you need to do whatever the right action is for it. And you need to look it up in your system as to whatever the right action is, if you don't remember. Um, because, yes, with something like that, you do have to trust it 100%. Um, and... It, it's it's very useful to be able to do that, but also <laughs> to have a system that, you know, until I trust it 100%, I'm, it will just go, yeah, I'm going to stop because I ran into an error. Yeah, makes sense. Now, where does DevonThink fit in this? Because you've mentioned DevonThink and Hazel. Yes. Um, so I do use both. And I, I should note, DevonThink is sponsoring the show, but even if they weren't sponsoring the show, I would still have to talk about it because I really uh, love and use the application on a regular basis. And a lot of what I do with DevonThink is essentially just like organize these documents. You know, I've got a business, so I've got all of the the invoices and receipts and everything that I need to keep. Um, and so all of those end up in DevonThink. And what I am doing in DevonThink for those is I'm using um, the smart rules um, to organize and rename things and put information into custom metadata fields. Um, I can't believe I lived so long with DevonThink without really using custom metadata fields, but yeah. they've allowed me to create, you know, like this was the cost of this and this was the VAT paid on it, um, f- uh, fields, which means that then essentially I pretty much have an automated tax return, um, which is really great yeah. combined yeah. with some smart dates and so on. Um, and that is incredibly useful. Um, and even more so when, um, my accountant somehow lost all of the digital documents that I'd, I'd sent over. Um, and so I sent everything again and it was, you know, five minutes work to export everything and and just say, yep, it's all here, go. Um, because, you know, I, I had everything in a really easy to organize format, um, which means that also I'm actually maintaining all of the stuff, which is something that I'm sure people uh, who've got their own business and have to do tax returns, or maybe just Americans, because you all have to do tax returns over there, um, are uh, aware can be a bit of a pain at times, keeping track of all those receipts and everything. It makes it incredibly easy. Um, My favorite thing that I've been working on recently is getting emails automatically out of mail into DevonThink and converting them into a PDF. So all of my Apple receipts get pushed into DevonThink and converted into PDFs with all this data on them because that's one of the things that I need. Okay. Well, it makes sense. So, you know, you've got some stuff in Hazel, you got some stuff in DevonThink. Interestingly, yeah. you know, DevonThink does have a really powerful set of Hazel-like rules inside of it. So yes. you could do it all with either. Um, yeah. Yeah, you could. I just tend to use DevonThink for these are documents that I want to be able to access anywhere. Um, potentially, you know, I probably won't, but I want to be able to. Um, and also, um, I, I really need to, um, keep these documents, you know, they're documents that they're not something that I will work on necessarily. Um, they're more reference materials. Um, and when I'm done with things, then I'll put them in there as well. If it's something that I've, I've created that I'm proud of, um, and want to keep, um, or something that I just want to look back to frequently for inspiration, but a lot of it is essentially, you know, manuals and receipts and things like that. But it is really handy to use that to just organize that information because then, right, I'm looking for um, the thing that tells me how to reset my my door lock because I have a smart door lock. Okay, well, that it's going to be a different thing. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just search for lock or door or Yale um, and it will appear because not only have I given it, you know, a good file name, 
which is, um, I've got two different ones, so they both start with Yale Dorlock. They do have the model in there, and then I've added a bunch of information um, in uh, in the, the metadata, because that's something that you can do um, where you you know, add, add extra information. There's, um, aliases as well that you can use. I tend just to, um, end up writing, um, in the, uh, I think it's a custom metadata field that I created called notes. Um, but it, it's a very handy place to, uh, just add extra information and you can do the same thing in Finder. Um, but, um, you know, it's for me somehow Devon think works really well for my brain. And also the fact that it doesn't matter what device I'm on, I can just open my Devon Think database and then find everything is in here. Um, except at work, of course, I do have a separate Devon Think database for work-related things. Yeah, I mean, custom metadata is so much easier with Devon Think than Finder. It's like not even yeah. close. Um, like I, I made a custom field for Obsidian Link. So if I have a related note on any file in Devon Think, I've got a custom metadata for that link, you know. Um, nice. One thing that you uh, that you do with DevonThink is you create links to documents, which I would imagine is is helpful for your tax planning. Um, yes. That is more difficult with Finder based files, and you do have mm. some stuff you keep in Finder. Do you have a system for that? Like, how do you how do you link to a document in Finder? I guess is the question. I I, I tend not to, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm going to link to a file, it's either going to be something that is in uh, DevonThink or Obsidian. Yeah. Um, and um. I mean, I, I I could put all of my Markdown files and everything into Obsidian. I actually have it indexed that folder so that if I am searching for something and I've, it turns out that what it is is I've stored it in a link in as part of a, an Obsidian document, I'll still find it. Um, but pretty much if I'm going to link to something, it's going to be in DevonThink or Obsidian. Um, and the files that live on my device tend not to be things that I I link to in that sort of way. Um, the closest that I might come is, you know, there's there's a path to a folder here because that folder contains um, a project that I'm working on, you know, on development-wise. So, you know, I will need to open it with Xcode or WebStorm or um, Nova or VS Code or something, um, depending on what it is. All right, but you've opened another can of worms. You're putting documents <laughs> in Obsidian as well. Well, I, I say documents. They're just Markdown documents or images that I'm referencing in, in Markdown documents so that okay. I've, I've got an image there. Um, I, I tend not to put other kinds of files in there. Um, there's no particular reason. But if I'm going to reference a file, then it's probably going to be something that's on the internet um, or a document that I, I'm going to be putting in, in DevonThink um, so that I can have a link to that. Yeah, I'm th- I'm the same way. I feel like DevonThink is way better at documents than Obsidian is, so I don't put any real documents in Obsidian. Okay, I, I know this whole thing sounded like a DevonThink ad, but we're both big <laughs> DevonThink fans, so sorry. Yes. I, it's just weird that they're also sponsoring today, but there you go. <laughs> it, it is w- weird, but it's just one of those things. Um, yeah, there is one tiny thing, well, maybe not tiny, a uh, thing that I, I, I will mention that's sort of related to document management, which is um, I've got a lot of config files, which I am slowly putting into Git. Um, so um, for anybody who uses the terminal on a regular basis, you probably have a bash or a ZSH config. Uh, if you use Git, then you'll have a Git config. If you use iTerm, then you might have custom um, settings. Like I've got badges for different folders in iTerm, and I'm slowly putting all of those um, and my homebrew installs into a Git repo. And this has been uh, 
causing all sorts of wonderful headaches because it. I realized I actually have zero consistency in the way that my machines are set up, which explains why every so often I'll be on one machine going, but I'm sure this worked when I did this yesterday. And the answer is it was on the other machine. So I'm trying to unify across my devices that so that I end up with the the same setup everywhere just because it you know you go to search for a document being able to find it on every device is great but if you go to do something especially when it's it's code related i find um and you you're missing the 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 application that you need to do it or something it's very frustrating so uh, i'm managing those files by putting them in git this episode of automators is brought to you by electric when you think of the phrase boss move, you might be thinking of making a bold business decision or maybe giving a great presentation in front of a big crowd. The reality is, sometimes being a boss in a small business means sorting out the orange juice you spilled on your own keyboard or helping a staff member with setting up their new laptop. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. A service like Electric really saves all sorts of time. From, how do I set up my calendar? To, wait, wait, where did my laptop go? Why isn't it here yet? All of those questions can be answered by the team at Electric. For automated listeners, Electric are offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash automators to set it up. That's electric.ai slash automators to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show and Relay FM. Uh, so, David, do you want to talk about setups and breakdowns and Rose. all of that fun? Rose, you're speaking my language. You know, I just love that so much. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I love context setup switching. automation. Yeah, context switching. I mean, it's like, come on, what are you doing to me here? Uh, all right. I know, Sh- I know, I know. I'm 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 just saying the magic words. Share your secrets, um, Rose. Share your secrets. <laughs> well, my secrets aren't, you know, exactly um, you know, difficult, fortunately. Um, and essentially what I have done is I've um I, I spend a bit of time like sitting down and going, okay, what do I actually need to do in different places? Um, because that, that for me was a lot of the work because it turns out that if you record three podcasts, there's a bunch of common things that happen across all three podcasts. Um, and so it's probably sensible to have that unified, um, so that when you start recording a podcast, the, the things that happen for every podcast always happen. Um, and then podcast specific things happen. So for example, uh, when I start recording automators or when I say that I'm going to be recording an episode of automators, Cable Maestro goes, hey, which episode is this? Um, and amazing, wonderful, love it, type it in. And then at the end of the show, um, it helps me rename files using the episode number because it stores it. Um, and so what I've done for this is I've got bunch, which is what I'm using for the the big overview um, of it. And that is running a number of things, including, you know, shortcuts, um, and of course, keyboard maestro macros and opening and closing applications. And then once all the applications are open, it runs Moom. So it can tidy everything up for me, which is really nice. So that then 
when I start recording an episode that, you know, Safari is right in front of me with the tabs that I need because it's created a new Safari window and put everything into those tabs. And, you know, all the other windows that I need are in the places that they always are so that I'm not usually going, wait, where did, where did I put audio hijack again? Like it's hiding somewhere. Yeah, I do the same thing. I, I It's funny how we've like harnessed Moom to turn into like a minion of our automation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not that hard because you can set a keyboard shortcut to any layout and then you just trigger a keyboard shortcut in it and you're good to go. Yes, yes, exactly. Did you know Better Touch Tool has a um, action and shortcuts to trigger a keyboard shortcut? It's like, that is like gold. That is a really handy tool. Yes, because there are so many things that you need to do a keyboard shortcut in, or the easiest way to automate it is just do the keyboard shortcut yes. inside it. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I'm doing right now, um, which happened at the start of this episode, is uh, I ran a keyboard maestro macro to start recording, to actually start the recording of the episode. And that saved a timestamp in keyboard maestro. And it also switched to audio hijack and then did the keyboard shortcut to start the recording, which is Command R. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a new version of Audio Hijack coming with scripting, and I can't wait for that. But for the time being, doing the 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 recording in, uh, in or just starting the recording through a keyboard shortcut, that's pretty powerful. But I wouldn't be able to do that in shortcuts if it wasn't for Better Touch Tool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's like we had Apple on Mac Power Users, and I was asking them about, like, triggering menu items and keyboard shortcuts. That stuff is such a an easy way to um to kind of like hack your way into automation and they're like no we're, it sounded like they just were not interested in doing that now better touch tools added the whole tool set i mean menu items uh, it just it's like a killer app now for shortcuts which makes me laugh but anyway um i went down a little bit of a tangent there for a second um <laughs> so so it's it's a combination of bunch and moom sounds like to really get it going what what are some yeah. of the other like setups that you have like when you want to code for work or i don't know just tell tell me some of the other setups you've got well i mean it, it depends because actually at work i have um three primary setups that i use i've got coding which you know splits my IDE, which is PHP Storm on one side of my screen, Firefox on the other side of my screen. And then on my laptop screen, it'll put um, iTerm split into three areas. So running the right commands that I need for, for the day. Um, but then if I'm going joining a meeting at work, um, then it will put Teams in the middle because it's, it's going to be Teams um, for meetings, meetings. Um, and it puts it slims down Firefox and puts it on the left of that, and it slims down PHP Storm and puts it on the right, just so that if I need to see my code or the the site that I was on beforehand, I can do that. Um, and then I've also got another one for I'm screen sharing um, because when I'm screen sharing with people, um, I have a 32 inch ultra wide monitor. It's amazing. If you need to share your entire screen, the other person needs a magnifying glass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, and also, you know, I, I like to get rid of other applications that I might have had running. You know, I might have had Safari open just to, you know, Google something that I was thinking about, you know, buying perhaps or something. You know, when you think of something, you just do it because it takes three seconds and then you've got Safari open still. And so it helps clean up things like that as well, just because I don't want messages sending me a notification while I'm 
you know, on a Slack huddle with somebody sharing my screen. It's, it's not important. Um, so, so I do that and it actually switches, um, my focus mode from work, um, to work, uh, meeting. I just have a, a work meeting, uh, focus mode, which gets rid of even more notifications, um, than just my regular work focus mode. And then when I end that, then it switches back to my work focus mode, which is really handy. Um, and I'm switching focus modes, um, because people are going to ask about this. I'm switching focus modes using shortcuts. Um, and what I do uh, and how I run the shortcut is because I switch mode through bunch, I just have it run the Apple script, which is tell application uh, shortcuts to run shortcut, quote, the name of your shortcut. Uh, and you do need quotation marks around the name of your shortcut if it's got a space in it. But it's it's very easy to do. And there's a number of ways that I can do this. I usually trigger bunch primarily from my stream deck um, because I have the icons there and I had an idea. Um, I, I only started this the other day, unfortunately, because TJ Luoma created the great calendar um, icon, which you can have in stream deck. Um, and that's controlled through Keyboard Maestro and you change the background color of um, the, the, the keyboard, maestro, uh, the stream deck button, and you change what text is on it all through keyboard maestro yeah. and some Apple script and, and bash scripts and everything. And it's, it's genuinely amazing. And I love it. I realized what I can probably do a good chunk of the time is read some of that same data and actually use it to display the right bunch. So then when I press one stream deck button, it will almost certainly run exactly the right bunch for exactly what I'm doing. Um, and then I'll have another one next to it for just like, you know, give me all the bunches. Um, and then I can choose whichever one manually. But I realize, you know, when I'm, when it's Wednesday, I'm recording automators. When it's Tuesday, I'm recording iOS today. When it's Thursday, I'm recording nested folders. Guess what? I can put one button. So I don't need three buttons taken up the entire time. I don't need to hide them behind a podcasting button. I just need to, you know, have one button, which shows me the correct thing. So that's what I am playing with at the moment i don't think that's going to be ready by the time that this uh show ships but um hopefully i will have it in a vaguely shareable state so i can talk about it in the forums yeah that's a lot <laughs> um yes. you know i'm a big fan brett and i wrote books together i just haven't really got fully invested in bunch yet and i think the reason is because i set up all of these scripts in keyboard maestro to do setups for me and Mm-hmm. Like the kind of stuff I want to do usually with a setup is um, open apps and then arrange them using Moom, which is the same thing you're doing with Bunch. And occasionally, like I'll start a timer or something, but all that stuff is scriptable inside Keyboard Maestro. I'm trying to make the case for me for Bunch. I mean, what should I, what am I missing here? Well, one of the great things that you can do with Bunch, which I think a lot of people probably will like is if you click on the bunch option in the menu bar, there is an option right there, new bunch with open apps, which means that you can just open up the apps that you usually want to have for this thing and you can save it. Um, and this is a, the same trick. It's, you can you can do the same trick with Moom. You can save a window layout snapshot once you've positioned all your windows where you want them. Yeah. Um, and for me, that was really helpful getting started because I had some of this stuff in Keyboard Maestro, but I'd never really bothered to sit down and figure it out. Um, And another feature that I really like, and this is not to say that uh, Keyboard Maestro is not great for this, is I really like the fact that when I open a bunch file, it's pretty much just a list of application names. So I'm skimming it and I'm going, yep, Visual Studio Code. 
yeah, that that's the one that I want, you know. And it's it's great for both when you're having those brain fart moments where I don't remember what the name of the thing is that I need to open because everybody's brain does that every once in a while. And it's also just very useful for being able to copy little chunks very easily and reorder them. Whereas an action in Keyboard Maestro, and it's the same if you you have an action in Shortcuts, it just takes up a lot more space on your screen than a single line of code. Yeah. Um, which which is really helpful. What I also like about Bunch is each bunch can have the concept of being open or closed um, or running and not running, which means that I can toggle it on and off. And so I can say when I start my recording, uh, podcast recording automators bunch, do these things. And when I finish it, do those things. And I don't need to try and harness like which mode I'm in because I could theoretically be in multiple modes simultaneously because Blanche supports that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I really like it. I think it's probably a good chunk of it is that that concept of a bunch being on or off, essentially, that allows me to add extra magic. I think I need to like really just like say for the next month, I'm just going to use bunch for this. Like one of the reasons I wanted to kind of keep it with Keyboard Maestro is that, you know, I've already got it all all the triggers and buttons connected, you know, and like putting mm-hmm. up the infrastructure to, to switch over is a pain. Um, the other thing was uh, I was really toying with the ability to try and set windows uh, size and height and everything in, in keyboard maestro to take Moom out of the loop. You know, that right. it's easier if you have one less app involved, but I just found that like, you really have to do a pixel by pixel in keyboard maestro yeah. to do this right. And then, like, if I change resolution, everything just looks terrible. And it's just like it really just wasn't kind of doing the job. Yeah, yeah. I I have to say, you know, I do, you know, Keyboard Maestro's window management generally is great because you can do things like just move this to the center of my primary monitor, um, which is actually something that I've got hooked onto um, several other actions. So, for example, if I try to quit Safari um, with Command-Q, most of the time, I did not mean to hit Command-Q. I meant to hit Command-W to close tab. So I actually have Keyboard Maestro interfere with it there and go, are you sure? Like, did you actually want to do this? And one of the things that it does with the are you sure is it moves that right into the middle of my main monitor. Yeah. Because that means that I'm actually going to see it. Because there's nothing worse than deliberately trying to do something and getting an are you sure prompt that's, wait, wait, why is it way over there in the right-hand corner of my secondary monitor? That's not where I wanted to see it. And the answer is, I dragged it. I dragged the 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 Keyboard Maestro prompt there sometime previously. And Keyboard Maestro is smart. It remembers where you put the prompt because you probably want to put it back. Yeah. Um, except for, for this thing, I don't. I always want it front and center. So I have it move things in that respect. And where you're doing something relative to other things, you know, so smack bang in the center vertically and horizontally, of my main monitor, it's fabulous, but it is much trickier to say, yeah, I want this to take up one third of my screen vertically, please. Um, or, you know, one one third of my screen horizontally actually is what I mean. So I end up with three columns on my screen. Does smart home fit into this at all? Yes. So of course, um, when I'm podcasting, um, I have automated curtains and automated blinds and things like that. And the last thing I want is mid-recording for my blinds stop going down going, hmm or my curtains start closing and going um, and I won't do that sound for very long because it is quite annoying and 
it probably doesn't get picked up much by my microphone or it, it shouldn't do. Um, I've, I've done my best to position everything so that it wouldn't. But one of the things that I do when I start my recording is I actually have um, it trigger my podcast uh, recording focus mode and then my phone checks, hey, is sunset in the next two hours? Okay, cool. I'm just going to go ahead and close your curtains and blinds right now, um, at least in, in my office. And that is really helpful. And of course, it also turns on lights and so on as part of that. And I have a variety of HomeKit scenes set up for like iOS today, where I use different uh, colored lights in the background and things like that. And I've I've been getting pretty nerdy with the home automation stuff, David. I think there's going to be quite a bit to talk about there. This episode of Automators is brought to you by our friends at Texas Fender. Keep everything consistent and accurate with Texas Fender. In a fast-paced world, things change constantly and errors in messaging can have significant consequences. Texas Fender lets you make approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes so your team stays consistent, current, and accurate. With Texas Fender, you can get your message right every time, expand content that corrects your spelling, and keep your language consistent with just a few keystrokes so your team members always know the right message for the right person at the right time without relying on memory or copy and paste. I love Text Expander and I use it for all sorts of things. Recently, I've been experimenting with app-specific snippets again. And guess what? They're even better when you share them because that means that everybody who needs to write their texts a certain way so it appears right in this application, well, they can get it. Just like that, every time. As a listener of Automated, you can get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, so Rose, every time I talk to you, I feel like your home automation has like started over. It's like a very much fast moving train. Um, where are you right now with respect to home automation? There is a lot of home automation in my life, David. Um, I've taken the opportunity because, um, so I've been using the IKEA smart home stuff. Um, and I've got quite a bit of it. I've got smart blinds, but I've got quite a few of the smart outlets. I've got some bulbs. I recently got a nice new uplighter in my living room and uh, Ikea has GU10 um, uh, white um, comfort bulbs. And that was what I needed for the reading light in there. So I just got two um, Ikea smart bulbs. But unfortunately, and I think that a, a chunk of this is due to the fact that I have a lot of smart home stuff uh, I have a lot of devices and apparently my home was built with the very best of insulation in mind. Um, and one of the ways that they did that was by foil-backed plasterboard um, and a number of other things which massively interfere with the signal um, inside of my home. So I, I kid you not when I say that I have one of the what feels like the UK's tiniest flats. Um, it's two bedrooms just um, if you you know, are very, very, very good friends with everybody. Um, but I can be in one room and I will not have Wi-Fi signal, even though the router is literally in the next room. Um, and that massively interferes with things. And the IKEA hub, unfortunately, really, really, really struggled for me. Yeah. Um, so I've ended up moving all of my IKEA things into Home Assistant because Home Assistant, um, you can uh, plug a Zigbee dongle into it. So I bought a Zigbee dongle and I paired everything with Home Assistant. And Home Assistant and the Zigbee dongle that I bought seem to be doing a really, really great job of getting 
all of my things to talk to each other. Um, and I can share those back into HomeKit. So I'm not losing out on the fact that I can then talk to a HomePod and say, open and close this blind and do these things and so on and so forth. Um, but also home assistant automations are a lot more powerful. So you can say, for example, if this door is open for two minutes, then do this thing, which is something that I've, I, I was trying to do for a long time in, uh, HomeKit and shortcuts. And I had things farming out to my push cut automation server where it was, you know, checking, you know, every 10 seconds, hey, is the door still open? Is the door still open? Is the door still open? Well, you know, there's 120 seconds in two minutes. That's, you know, 12 runs of a shortcut to check whether or not a door is still open. Um, it, yeah, it it felt very inefficient and unoptimized. And quite frankly, it was a bit flaky just because, you know, you're relying on duct tape uh, and a wish make all of those things work. And individually, each component was rock solid. You know, HomeKit was great. Um, and the door lock is great. And Pushcut is great. But trying to connect all three of them together seemed to just end up being a bit tricky. And I couldn't ever quite figure out where the failure point was. Um, so I've been able to solve a good chunk of that with some Home Assistant automations. But I've managed to keep all of my HomeKit automations intact because what I've done is I backed up my HomeKit um, my HomeKit setup. And then when I um, removed the devices from the HomeKit home, because I took them off of the IKEA bridge and I paired it to Home Assistant and I shared it back to HomeKit, I could actually restore the backup that I'd created. Uh, and I used controller for HomeKit for this. Um, and it was able to, and what I could do was I could say, hey, so this device is now this device. And then it just linked everything back up for me. So it meant that actually nothing got broken. And I have to say, Control for HomeKit definitely deserves uh, a massive shout out because it made that process a lot easier. And so does Home Assistant because it is an incredibly powerful system that's allowed me to get rid of three hubs so far um, and just pair everything okay, directly wait, wait. to I, want, I just want to pull us out of I want to pull us out of the weeds for a minute here because you keep talking about Home Assistant, but I'm not sure everybody knows what Home Assistant is. So what is it? Yeah, we've mentioned it on the show before, but if you think of uh, HomeKit, HomeKit is one way to control a number of smart home devices, but they all have to be HomeKit compatible. Um, what you can do instead, there's a number of different options out there. There was um, Samsung SmartThings for a while. I think that's pretty much dead now, unfortunately. There's Hubitat and a number of things, but Home Assistant is a very big one and it's open source. And essentially the idea is that it is a small brain that lives in your house on a computer and it does you know, a variety of different things. Um, but unlike uh, HomeKit, um, where you have to have um, an always-on iPad that stays at home or an Apple TV or a HomePod, you can run this on a computer that you might already have um, that's in your home. Um, so I, I was running it on a Raspberry Pi for a while and then I ended up buying um, a, a slightly more powerful machine because I wanted to be able to do lots of things with data tracking. But the idea is that you run a, a small server yourself that can manage this sort of thing, just like HomeKit can with automations and so on. But you can connect a number of different devices to it. Yeah. And it feels to me kind of like it's halfway between HomeBridge and HomeKit in some ways because you get their device and then like you can put it on a Raspberry Pi, but you can also just buy a pre-made box. In fact, I've got one on order because we're going to do a show on this at some point. But it, mm -hmm. they're pretty slow to deliver. I'm not sure when mine's coming. Someday it's just going to show up. 
but I have a home assistant yellow <laughs> yeah. on order. But but then yeah, it gives you pre-ordered you a, it to be fair. Yeah, but then but then it gives you a web uh, interface where you can like uh, have much more granular kind of home automation rules. Is that a fair summary? Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, it, it's not just home automation rules, but it's also um, the, a lot of the things that you can do with Home Assistant. Um, you would probably struggle to do with just HomeKit or even HomeKit and HomeBridge. Um, so, for example, yeah. I have uh, smart heating that came with my house. Um, I just had to buy a hub to talk to it. But there is no plugin for this um, for HomeKit, uh, for HomeBridge at all. I looked, um, and I looked at trying to create one, and it would have been, quite frankly, a bit of a nightmare. Um, and then I looked in Home Assistant and there wasn't a plugin that somebody had made. They made an add-on. Um, and the difference between the two, I'm, I'm not going to go into here because it's not important for the terms of the show, but somebody had made something that I could try and it, it worked. Um, and basically what they're doing is they're using, um, a different protocol. It's not like, um, Zigbee, it's, it's a messaging protocol, but they can actually talk directly to this. And the Home Assistant itself supports it. So essentially, they're just bridging between the two of those. And that's something they can do because um, Home Assistant already supports all of this. And that is very nice to be able to do. And also, Home Assistant has an API that I can use. So if I want to get nerdy with shortcuts, I could. But it's got some pretty good shortcuts actions as well. Um, so there, there are a number of things that you can do like easily create fake buttons or switches and things like that that you might want to use so that your home knows when you're asleep and doesn't turn on all the lights every time you roll over in bed. That's very easy to do, whereas you would need a series of different HomeBridge plugins and to create automations in the Home app and then modify them in, say, Home Plus to be able to, you know, avoid the lights turning on while you're asleep. Well, I mean, I think I feel like that's the next level for you. The home assistant has like changed your game for a lot of this stuff. Yes. Yes, it has. But I've also very much tried to keep things much the same way they were previously, because what I had previously generally was working. And what I am attempting to do is not create 101 problems, but instead to solve the problems that I was having before I move on to the next thing. So the first problem that I was having was that my washing machine and my tumble dryer do not beep when they finish. And I did not know that they'd finish their cycles and I would forget about laundry. And so I was able to set up energy tracking with Home Assistant and get push notifications when those devices finished, which was great. And my next challenge is uh, figuring out um, what exactly is the correct radius for me arriving home where I want the lights to turn on, but the lights won't have been on for five minutes if I'm walking home. Well... Good luck with that. <laughs> you're gonna have it's to walk gonna be me a challenge. When, when mine shows up, yeah. you're gonna have to walk me through because it's new to me. But I, I am super interested in the ability to add more conditions to my rules and make yeah. home automation more powerful. I, I think Apple's actually doing a pretty good job with HomeKit, but it also is kind of the least common denominator. You know, it'd be nice if you could go further with this. The other thing Home Assistant yeah. looks like it's gonna give me is the ability to use devices that aren't made for HomeKit, which will be nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is great that you can do that. So uh, I have a smart smoke detector, um, but there are, I think the only smart smoke detector available in the UK is the Netatmo one, which is fairly pricey. Um, I bought a 10 pound Zigbee smart smoke detector and it works exactly the same way as a regular smart smoke detector, except I also paired it to Home Assistant and shared it to HomeKit. Um, and I attempted to test it. It was really difficult. Um, like I had to like create um, or 
actually had to set several light light several candles underneath it and close a bunch of doors to trigger it. Um, but it worked exactly the same way you would expect a HomeKit one to do. And I got a push notification to my phone. Um, so I was really, really pleased about that. And it was only £10 versus I think it was 60 or £80 for the Netatmo one. So there can be quite a price difference, but it does come with a bit of a trade-off of you have to install Home Assistant on something or buy Home Assistant blue or yellow. I think blue is not available in the US anymore and yellow is only on pre-order right now. But it does give you a great interface for editing automations, which for me is definitely something I'm very excited by. Now, you're also, I guess, at war against your hubs, right? Yeah, yeah, I kind of am. Uh, so originally I bought the Akara um, M1S, which is a round, white round plug, which kind of looks like a, a doorbell chime because um, it also functions as a doorbell chime with a, a light around it that you just plug into the wall. Um, and it's Wi-Fi. And at the time, um, I thought, 32 devices? Huh, I'm not going to hit 32 devices. Um <clears throat> Editor note, uh, Rose hit 32 devices much quicker than Rose had anticipated. Surprise. (laughs) Uh, And so I ended up needing another Akara hub. And so I bought the Akara M2 hub. And the Akara M2 hub is great, but migrating things between the devices or between the hubs uh, started breaking some of my automations. Um, And it was at this point that I'd already bought um, a Zigbee dongle for Home Assistant because I wanted to try the smart smoke detector. Um, because I was, I got woken up at three o'clock in the morning by the smoke detector going, beep, I'm running out of battery, beep, I'm running yeah. out of battery, um, which is everybody's worst nightmare. So being able to check the battery level from HomeKit and Home Assistant is really useful. Um, and so I'd bought this dongle and I thought, you know, if I'm moving things from one device to another, why don't I just try pairing the Akara stuff straight into Home Assistant? And it worked. It worked really, really well. Um, and then I realized that I could, you know, get a bit nerdier and combine two devices so that if both the motion sensors on my chair, uh, notice something, then actually, or if either motion sensor on my chair notices something in my office, then that appears as motion in my office. And that then gets shared as one thing. Wait, wait, to, Rose, uh, two, two motion sensors on your chair? Yeah. Uh, I decided to experiment because I realized that, um... Basically, whichever way I put a motion sensor on my chair, um, there's a chance that it won't notice how I'm moving because I either move from side to side or I move backwards and forwards. And depending on how I've got my chair set up, it may not notice one of the movements. So, for example, if I just lean backwards a little bit, then the seat itself doesn't move because I've got a really great chair. But if I just move from side to side, the back doesn't move <laughs> or it does, but it does not move enough. And I, so I played with a bunch of different options and I decided that I was going to try because I bought a, 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 another vibration sensor, um, sticking another one on there. And uh, yeah, so I now have two sensors on my chair, David. That, w- that was not planned, but it, it's working really, really well. That is one of the reasons why I you're one of my favorite people, Rose, that you put two motion <laughs> sensors on your chair. <laughs> I love that. Well, then I then what I did is I combined them through Home Assistant so that they just show up as one. So if either of them sees movement, then it just shows up as my office chair is is you know occupied um, because I, I set it to occupied versus not occupied. Um, but I've combined the two of them because in HomeKit I don't want to see whether or not one of them, you know, the seat or the back, has detected motion. I don't care about that. And then I took it a step further and went actually. 
I don't care about the other motion sensors in my office either. I just care about whether or not my office is occupied. And I combined all of them into an office occupancy sensor, um, which I used to control the lights. And then I combined my computer into that as well. So if my computer is on, um, then it considers my my office to be occupied because I will be most likely sitting here at it or coming back briefly because it will go to sleep relatively quickly. Okay, so now I just want to know when my home assistant yellow is going to ship. That's all I want to know. I mean, probably quite soon. I, I don't know. I don't remember uh, exactly when it's going to ship. I should note for anybody who's going, oh, that sounds interesting. The Home Assistant docs are really good and they've got full install guides um, for everybody. Um, so if you have a Raspberry Pi at home already, you could install Home Assistant on it um, and have a play. Um, and I, I, that's what I did with Home Assistant operating system. And it worked really, really well for me. I, I should really do that, but it. since I've already ordered this one, I think I'm just going to wait. But yeah, yeah. now wh- when are you shipping? This this all sounds like fun. <laughs> it is a lot of fun, and it's also pretty nice to be able to shop from a much wider array of smart home devices than are just available to HomeKit. So, for example, when I got my Yale locks here in the UK, Yale didn't have a HomeKit hub out. It just wasn't an option. But they did have Z-Wave um, plugins that you could put inside the the devices. And I could have bought, um, I think, a, a Z-Wave hub from them, but that wasn't HomeKit compatible. But Home Assistant can share things into HomeKit. And so I bought a Z-Wave dongle for Home Assistant. That was the original reason for me getting into Home Assistant properly um, and, and trying it, um, really, was because I wanted to get smart door locks and I wanted them in HomeKit. So I bought a Z-Wave dongle and um, mine's an AOTech, I believe it is, um, and plugged that into Home Assistant. And then I paired my Yale locks to it. And I got a push notification just five minutes ago saying, hey, your your door lock battery is running low. You probably want to fix that. So I will go after the show and replace the batteries in my door lock. But that set, like that got me um, smart door locks and it got me HomeKit compatible smart door locks that I can control with Siri. Um, and that's how I usually unlock my doors. Um, but I didn't have to wait for Yale to finally release um, a, a door lock because um, one of the doors I wanted to control is a multi-point lock where you have to lift the handle to engage the lock before you can lock it. And there aren't that many locks which are compatible with that. And a lot of the smart locks that you can get would just try to lock if the door was closed, which will not work with a multi-point lock. Um, and so I really wanted something that would work. And if I was getting one yellow lock, I figured get two because then both of them will pair. And I'm really, really pleased with them, I have to say. And it works really, really well. So where do you draw the line between home assistant stuff and home kit stuff? I don't really. I try to look at what is the best solution. Because if I can get it in home assistant, I can get it back into home kit. And if it's something that's home HomeKit only, I can actually pair it into Home Assistant because Home Home Assistant has the ability to pretend to be HomeKit, essentially. So I actually have an air purifier that I bought before I, I got into Home Assistant, um, and it took a while to arrive. It was um, not Kickstarter, the, the other one, Indiegogo. Um, it was an Indiegogo project. And it's a lovely air purifier. It's very swish, fancy designer, all sorts of things, but it is HomeKit, not any kind of local protocol except for that 
but I was able to get it into Home Assistant through HomeKit and then I can control all of my air purifiers um, in one place. Um, and I didn't have to do that, but I did it because I was curious. And it's quite nice to be able to look at a view just for my living room and see the air purifier for that room. Whereas if I look at the bedroom view, I see the air purifier in that room, which wasn't HomeKit compatible. It's a Toya one. Um, but I have the best of all of the worlds, essentially, because if I want to do something in HomeKit, I can do it because I can share everything back to HomeKit. But if Home Assistant is going to be the easiest way to solve a problem or the best way to solve the problem because it will allow me to extend it, then I can solve it there as well. So pretend you uh, live with people who are not as nerdy as you. Um, yeah. Are they able to get into HomeKit to see the rules? I mean, can can you live with somebody else is, I guess, what I'm asking. Like with HomeKit, Well, I guess when, the question is, why do they need to see the rules? Yeah. Um, because Home Assistant, everybody can have their own account and it's got an iOS app. It's got an Apple Watch app. Um, and so they can log in. And if you share things with them, like the automations and so on, you give them access to it, then they'll be able to see and edit all of those things. Um, the same as you can share that access through HomeKit. Um, but ideally, my aim for every setup is that I create it in such a way that it should just do what you expect without you needing to do anything. So you walk into the bathroom and the light turns on. And, you know, very occasionally while I'm debugging things or setting something up, that might not be the case. But if that's the case, either don't invite people over or I turn that off and revert it to a manual control while those people are here. And then I turn it back on and continue tweaking afterwards. And as I ask the question, I'm thinking, yeah, with my house, like my wife and kids access the individual switches, like they'll tap the button to turn the kitchen lights on, but they're yeah. not going to be doing the automation stuff. They just, they either just benefit from it or they suffer from it if I don't do it right. Yes. Yes. And hopefully with the frequent complaints of it's not working because otherwise you might not know it's not working for them. Yeah. But yes, my, my aim is really, you know, try try to make the magic happen so that it does just do the thing without needing to tap the buttons and do things. So if I walk into my hallway during the day when it's quite light, it will turn on the lights dimly. And if it's the middle of the night when I have been asleep because I've got to go to the bathroom, again, the lights in the hallway are dim. But aside from that, within half an hour of sunset, up until it gets bright enough in the morning... Um, it will turn on the lights to be fully bright. And that's yet to confuse my parents when they come over and visit. Um, and I think they're a fairly good barometer for, you know, does does this thing do what you would expect? They 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 walk into a room and it provides the amount of light that they need. Um, and, you know, the bathroom is on and off. The, the light in there is either on or it's off. But if, you, if it's, if you go in there and then you close the door, it will leave the light on until you've opened the door and left. Because the last thing you want is the light turning off in the middle of a shower. This episode of Automators is brought to you by DevonThink, the flagship product from Devon Technologies. DevonThink is the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. It's the one place for storing all your documents, snippets, or bookmarks, and working with them. The integrated AI assists you with filing and searching, while the extensive search language with advanced billion search operators makes sure you're never looking for something and not finding it. DevonThink features a flexible sync system that supports many cloud services, or lets you synchronize over the local network too, with everything securely encrypted. This gives you the choice for however syncing works best for you. It has smart rules and flexible reminders that let you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring, repeating tasks. Let DevonThink automatically organize your data with rules you define. 
Devon thinks AppleScript Dictionary is one of the largest on the Mac. There's no part of Devon Think that can't be automated. Except Devon thinks functionality with your own commands by adding them into a scripts menu. Even templates can have scripts inside, and you can set up new documents from data with placeholders or inserted by your own AppleScript code. And of course, there's so much more from an iOS companion app to email archiving, scanning, or even an embedded web server for sharing your data securely with your team. I did mention earlier on the show that I personally use and love DevonThink, and I would say that even if they weren't sponsoring today's episode, but one of the features I've been using recently is the convert file feature. Because DevonThink automatically imports email, and with convert file, you can actually convert it to a PDF. Yep. So my emails get imported and converted into PDFs automatically. Perfect for accounting. So if you think that you need somewhere where you can organize your files and easily find them, and maybe even convert some documents, check out DevonThink. You can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com slash automators. That's devontechnologies.com slash automators for 10% off. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Rose, you've got a lot of great automations, but what about dealing with applications that don't want to automate? You know, they're out there. Apps that don't have hooks for all the various automation platforms we like. How do you deal with those? Yeah, so there's been um, a reasonable amount of this recently where I've been just dealing with weird things that don't do what I want them to do. Um, And a lot of what I have done is dig around until I find a way to fix the problem. Now, in one particular case, it it ended up actually uh, with Rose goes and uses a different application because I was trying to get the terminal to uh, open in in three windows and do three three different things and I wanted those windows positioned different in a different way and I could get terminal to open three windows um, and I could get them positioned but getting the correct one to do the correct command was not working for me so I ended up switching to iTerm but a lot of what I've been doing recently it has been a little bit of Apple Script um, where possible or where necessary. Um, maybe text expansion in a few places and keyboard maestro just stepping in and rescuing me in all the places where usually this thing would be disabled, but actually in this particular scenario, I wanted to happen. So keyboard maestro bridges a gap to make magic. Can you give me an example? Yeah. So I don't use text expansion when I'm programming. Um, I say I don't use text expansion. That's not strictly true. I don't use my standard text expansion. So my tan- standard text expansion, I've got um, mostly in text expander, um, but there's also um, some things in Alfred uh, because that was a fun experiment and why not? And there's the odd thing in Keyboard Maestro. But the ones in text expander and the ones in Alfred do not run in my um, development applications just because they will end up accidentally interfering with um, what I'm doing in various ways. Now, the, the the programs that I use themselves, they do have text expansion. They've got autocomplete, things like that. But there are certain things that I do want available, but only in those applications. Um, but I don't have every app. So for example, on my work machine, um, I don't have text expander installed. Uh, there's a number of reasons uh, for that, but it's just something that because I'm not writing words, I didn't feel like I needed it a lot of the time. Um, but I did need some text expansion. So I have Keyboard Maestro run some macros only in those applications. And I've got some smart groups that are just for my um, development applications. But it's even smarter than that in that it looks at the name of the window 
and it checks what the ex- file extension is in the name of the window. Um, and then if it's a PHP file, it will do one thing. And if it's a JavaScript file, it will do a different thing and so on and so forth. So that I can type whatever my magic incantation is and I get exactly the right result for whatever language I'm programming in, which is, I think, something I would have struggled to do with just plain text expansion. But I was really pleased to be able to sort that out with Keyboard Maestro. Yeah, I mean, Keyboard Maestro does come to the rescue so often, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was. It was one of those things where I was so nearly there. And then I remembered the Keyboard Maestro can get the name of the window. And that was the bit that just made everything click. Because once I figured that out, I figured out not only my text expansions, but also when I hit save, I needed to do a particular sequence of events. I need to activate the terminal or iTerm as it is now so that I can actually look and see the thing and make sure that everything's compiling. And then if that's fine, then I can go over to Firefox and refresh the page. But I don't want that to happen when I'm editing certain files. And so because I can check which files I'm editing, thanks to the property, which is the title of the window, I can make different magic happen. And that was one of those things where, yeah, it, yeah, I really had one puzzle piece fall into place and realized, wow, yeah, you know, this is, this is incredibly powerful because I was able to reuse that with Audio Hijack um, because Audio Hijack, my session has the name. And so if it's automators in the name, it's now going to do magic, you know, automators magic. Whereas if it says nested folders, it'll do nested folders magic and so on and so forth. So it's mostly been Keyboard Maestro to the rescue, but there has been a little help with iTerm as well. Okay, you want me to uh, blow your mind a little bit? Maybe you already know this. Um, there's a cool plugin for Obsidian called Custom Window Title. Very simple plugin, takes the name of the current note and puts it in the title of the window. And suddenly, once it's in the title of the window, that opens up all these automation possibilities when I'm working in a Obsidian note that has the word automators in the title. Or that also the way I use that is with the um, timing app, the timing app that mm-hmm. does time tracking. Now it tracks uh, time based on that window. It doesn't just say time in Obsidian. It'll say time on the automators file. And so nice. it's like it's like once you change the name of the window title, it opens up automation possibilities with something like Keyboard Maestro. It's pretty cool. Anyway, it's a very small plugin. And uh, it's currently version 0.3.3. I don't even know what that means. Wouldn't it be version one if it's out? But I don't know. Um, it might just be that it's the developer considers it's so small that he's not or she's not given it a, a 1.0 yet. Or there's lots of features that they've not yet made. Yeah. Well, either way, it's a great little plugin. And I'm running it. And uh, that might help you if you want to automate some of that. Like based on opening an, an Obsidian document, you could trigger that automation. Mm, yes. Yes. That is definitely something that I will be looking into. There, I've It's one of those things. I do automate a lot of things around Obsidian, but it's mostly the creation of documents and folders and things like that rather than actually going into and, and reading things out of it just yet. Maybe that needs to be a future show. I've I've done I've done some work there. So maybe that's something we'll talk about one day. Well, that that is definitely something I will be looking for. Another thing that I've been playing with is uh, there are some great menu bar apps and Safari extensions on the Mac, which have been solving a number of different problems for me. 
So one of them is, and I'm I'm now going to get this wrong because it's gone and hidden from me, um, the name of the application. It's the little house with the lightning icon in it in my menu bar. And it's called Home Control. That's the one. And Home Control gives me uh, all of the devices, scenes, groups, smart groups, sensors, etc. from HomeKit in my menu bar so that when I click on it, I can see all of those things. Um, I should mention that Home Assistant does also have an application for the Mac um, and that's good. It works really well and it gets a bunch of sensors into it. But for a lot of the things that I'm doing where I just want specific scenes, um, it's pretty great to just click and be able to go blind, set to closed or open or turn this light on or turn this light off and things like that without having to open the application, which has been very helpful. And this also has an automation option where you can get a URL scheme for each individual item or scene or device um, and run that through something else. So you can integrate, you know, smart home scenes into Keyboard Maestro um, without having to run an entire shortcut um, just to set a smart home scene. Because the home app, for some reason, is still really not automatable on macOS. I really don't know what's going on there. Of course, I can do it on iOS, but you know, having having all of the options everywhere is something that I am hoping to have when it comes to a lot of these automation possibilities. No, I agree. And of course, that's the the trick to get it into your Stream Deck as well. Because once you have a URL, mm-hmm. then not only can you trigger it from Keyboard Maestro, you can insert the URL into a Stream Deck button, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And it is really useful for that. Um, I've, I've been enjoying it. There's a couple of um, Safari extensions. Um, you mentioned Almsafe before. It's, it's not really an automation option, but it does allow me to get the image um, from uh, the key image from a web page, which can be really helpful when I'm building a shopping list for a store that I'm going to go to. So that I actually have a picture of the thing that I'm looking for. Um, but one that I have only found out about recently, but it's really cool, is URL linker. Um, and it's, I think it was $1.99 or even free um, in the Mac App Store. But it means that when I right-click on any page in Safari, um, I can copy the URL, but then I can set up preferences. So, because it copies as markdown format. So you get your square brackets, the title of the page, round brackets, URL. But you can have, you can add your own formats. So if you need uh, a different format, so say, for example, you're on one particular page and you always want to copy it with a prefix, then you can create a format for that. Um, And you've just got title and URL parameters and you can use that anywhere. And it's a very simple uh, application, but it really does make it very easy to just copy whatever I need as a Markdown link because most of the time I'm writing in Markdown. But I can also do it with HTML, which is something that I've been using at work. What are some other ways you'd get around apps that don't want to automate? I mean, there is the good old-fashioned Keyboard Maestro click at image. Um, But one other thing that I have been doing recently um, is I I have two uh, applications at work that really don't want to talk to each other. Uh, The system where I can book my holiday and my calendar. Um, And my calendar I can work around because it's on my Mac. The system where I book my holiday, it's a web system and it, it, it doesn't play ball. But I found that there is a way to get an uh, an ICS file out of it. But the URL is hidden. <laughs> so I ended up uh, creating a keyboard maestro macro that takes the URL of the Safari page um, and it reworks 
it a little bit, it replaces some text, and then it opens a new URL, which will then have automatically download the ICF file, which was really, really helpful um, until they finally figured it out. And then like three weeks later, they added the, 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 the button so I can do it directly. But that was a way around that because I went through their documentation and I asked and somebody said, well, here's the, here's the URL for this. And I was able to you know, look at the two URLs that I had and figure out what the difference was and just replace things until it worked. Um, so that that was quite helpful. So being able to create a keyboard maestro macro that didn't click at an image and I could have done it with shortcuts and maybe I should have because it would have got the frontmost Safari window. But I do use Firefox and Chrome as well at work because I'm a web developer and I have to use all the browsers. You know, um, talking to you, I get the impression that like when you have to like roll up your sleeves for an automation that you generally are using JavaScript as opposed to Apple script. What is the balance for you between Apple script and, and other like languages? I mean, it really depends. Um, honestly, if I'm actually going to be writing a script to automate something on the Mac, I am not going to use JavaScript. JavaScript for automation is one of those things that was a lovely idea. And when I say JavaScript for automation, I'm talking specifically the JavaScript version of Apple Script, not JavaScript as you would find it in, in drafts or similar. Yeah. But um, it, it, it was a wonderful idea and I, I love what they were going for. But somehow it just does not have all of the same event hooks as Apple Script, which means that you can write the same script in Apple Script and JavaScript. And the AppleScript one will work consistently and the JavaScript one will just sometimes randomly stop or, or miss something or not be triggered or not do something that you would expect. And I don't like I don't know why that is. I've talked to a number of different people and essentially the running theory appears to be that it didn't quite get hooked up in all the same places. And so therefore it sometimes just doesn't work, which is a real shame. Um, so I am using AppleScript for anything very specifically Mac where I'm doing something that will be multi-platform, where I want it on my iPhone as well, I will go with JavaScript because I can write JavaScript and use it in drafts. I can use it in Obsidian. I can use it in Scriptable. I could use it in the browser. And I can use it on my Mac or my iPhone or my iPad, which means that it works anywhere, which is really, really nice because the, the last thing I want is to sit down and go, oh, yeah, I wanted to do this. Oh, now I need my Mac. Right. Um, yeah. No. That's that's not happening. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm doing more Apple Script than I have in a while because of the Apple Silicon Max, and they have an all day battery, and like all of a sudden, I'm doing less work on the iPad, so I don't mind having Mac only automation. Mm -hmm. And Apple Script for Mac is so good. I mean, there's so many apps that are really hooked into it, so you can do a lot of cool stuff with Apple yeah. Script, but um, I don't know that that's the long-term play. What, what do you think is the long-term play from Apple? I mean, I mean, so I mean, I don't clear, know. clearly shortcuts they've said is the future and they're going to try and do more uh, shortcut stuff, but are they going to have an Apple Script like language that goes across all their platforms? I mean, I've heard people speculate that they think um, Swift UI is going to have an automation version, that that's the plan. But I, mm. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I mean, Swift as an automation language definitely would have a lot of advantages um, in that it's already on all of Apple's platforms. Swift UI, the framework, um, is not, yeah, not necessarily the right thing. But I yeah. misspoke there. I'm sorry. Swift, not Swift UI. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and Swift has got a lot of advantages to it. It is um, 
perhaps a bit trickier for people who are familiar with some other programming languages, but are not necessarily developers, because there are some certain things that are flipped. So for example, um, in uh, JavaScript, if you uh, create a variable and you want it to be a constant variable, you create it with the name const. And if you want something that's flexible, you use let. If you use the word let in Swift, that is a constant. And so just things like that will trip up people who are a bit newer to the language, which is a bit of a shame, perhaps, but also, you know, they, they, there's reasons behind why they've created Swift the way they've created it. And it's an incredibly powerful language. So it would be lovely. But I feel like maybe because JavaScript was already on every device as something that, for example, Agile Torches could just bundle into drafts and expose to people. And it's used in Obsidian and other things. It's ac- it's perhaps accidentally gained a lot of momentum as an automation language. And I feel like Apple would probably be missing out on something quite amazing if they bucked the trend and said, no, 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 like Swift is the future, Swift is the future here. They can do that when it comes to development because the developers don't really have a choice. If they want to develop for Apple platforms, then it's Objective-C or Swift. Um, but when it comes to automation languages, you know, the Omni Group um, have spent a lot of time creating Omni Automation um, with Celsegoyen for all of their, their apps. Agile Tortoises has got everything. You know, Simon Stovering, creator of Scriptable, created Scriptable, which essentially bridges a, a ton of Swift into JavaScript. You know, Apple could do that. Apple could say, no, 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 it's it's Swift from now on out. Um, and I'm sure um, it would do, you know, fine. But I think it would be end up being more like AppleScript in the sense that it's considered a relatively niche, odd thing. The, the, the significant advantage for it would be that developers would be able to create a whole bunch of automations to help them as part of their development process um, because they're already writing Swift. But I don't know. I, I feel like if they're going to do something, they should probably go with JavaScript because it's just the one that's there. I mean, they added the action. This was what I was 13 of run JavaScript um, on Safari page where you can run essentially a bookmarklet um, to, on, a, on a Safari web page um, through shortcuts and then get that information back. It, you know, it's it's there's the option when when they added um, shortcuts to the Mac, they they added a run JavaScript for Mac automation um, along with the run Apple script automation. I have a feeling Apple script is probably not going anywhere, um, but I, I hope maybe that somebody goes in and has a poke around with JavaScript for Mac and tries to find some of that weirdness that I've been experiencing. And I know a lot of other people have as well. I do think that it's probably more work to take Apple Script out than to just leave it in. So that's probably what they're going to do. But I, I hope you're right on JavaScript. I would like to see a unified scripting language mm. across all Apple platforms. And I feel like they must have a plan for it, I would hope. And um, it seems like they kind of hinted at it last year in WWDC when they talked about how you know the shortcuts on the Mac is just the beginning. And... Um, my fingers are crossed and I'm really hoping that they have got a good answer for that. Yes, so do I. And I, you know, I do hope that maybe we end up with all the options, you know, maybe they, they, they go in and they fix JavaScript and add Swift at the same time, 
because that would be pretty amazing. And I have to say, you know, if if people ask me, you know, which automation language should I, I learn, I, I usually recommend JavaScript just because it opens up so many more options in so many more apps than AppleScript does. I mean, AppleScript is great, assuming that you're on the Mac. But our lives are becoming more and more mobile. We're working from home. Um, and, you know, sometimes that does involve working from the sofa or the breakfast bar or wherever ends up being convenient because, you know, unexpected work on your house or guests or something and you you just need to get out of the way. Being able to do all of your things everywhere is definitely something that should not be taken for granted. Um, and, you know, especially for those people who've, who've got a desktop, it's, you know, if they're, if they're looking at buying another device, it's probably going to be an iPad, not a laptop. If they don't feel like they need a laptop 99% of the time, but they would quite like an iPad. So they should be able to do their work on it. And I think adding Swift as a scripting language on iOS is much less likely than opening up shortcuts some more and giving people some extra JavaScript that they can run with it. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Hover, one of Relay FM's longest running sponsors. When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Well, your business starts with a domain name. And so for many entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap. Hover has over 300 domain extensions to choose from. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. And they have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have. And they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. Hover has free Whois privacy, so the bad guys don't get all your information. A clean user interface, monthly sales on popular top-level domains, and it's easy to see why Hover is a popular choice for people starting businesses. I have so many domains that I literally have to go through them in pages. And one time I had a great idea for a website when I was chatting to a friend on the public transport system in Berlin. I was literally able to pull out my phone and buy the domain Captain Jet Set right there. I haven't done anything with it yet, but I've got great plans. And, you know, when I eventually get around to them, I've already got the domain. We know you like intuitive user experiences and things that just work straight out of the box. So I know you'll appreciate Hover. The user interface is really simple, clean, and easy to navigate. Buy your domain and start using it today. Go to hover.com slash automators and get 10% off all new purchases. That URL one more time, hover.com slash automators. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So there's one place that I benefit from your automation, and that is the automation you've put in place to work on show development for automators. I know you've got three podcasts and you put some effort into that. Um, how are you automating podcasting? I don't think anybody is going to be surprised if I say Airtable. Um, it's, it's the magic word. Um, but essentially, I've got uh, four Airtable databases, which drive a lot of the podcasting things for me. Um, I have four because iOS Today has feedback which gets shared with Micah um, and I wanted my personal stuff to not end up taking up all of the feedback uh, base. So I just split those into two separate things. But you and I have got a pretty great Airtable base which has all of our future episodes in. It's got all of our guests. Um, you know, they, they're, they're not actually living in the in the base. We do let them escape occasionally. Um I hear the Twit Studios are, are nice from the last time we let Micah out. But all of these give me uh, a lot of data, which I can then access in a lot of other places. So I've been using a lot of Zapier. Um, and some of this is migrated to Make, which re very recently rebranded from Integromat. Um, and 
those do things like uh, watch certain views and then go, great, it's time to create a new show note for automators. I'm going to take this template and I'm going to take this data from Airtable. I'm going to replace these placeholders in the template with this data. And bam, here's a new show document for you. Um, and that that's one thing I, I've been uh, tweaking recently because we had an automators document for a long time, which had all the data in, but it wasn't very pretty. So I, I got you to work your magic because I, I've seen your Mac Power users outline to make it a lot prettier. And it has been, it, it's it's very useful that both of us can go in and edit all of this data in Airtable. And then it just, bam, magically appears in the Google Doc in a nice formatted view that we can easily share with our guests. Yeah, it, it's impressive. And, um, you know, organizing Google Doc creation, um, it's not really that much work if you want to try and do it. Um, and there's a lot of ways you can do it. Like, uh, you, you mentioned that um, make slash, what was it called before? Uh, Integromat. Integromat. Yeah. They, like, they've got a nice um, system in there where you can automate the the formation of a Google Doc with a template. And and that's what you're using for this one, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. I am. So there's a template document with placeholders in. Um, and and placeholders are are something that you can set up and 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 it's it's best to check the documents with whichever automation system you want as to how those need to be formatted, but I just set the placeholders to be different columns from Airtable, um, which puts the data in the right place really really easily, um, and the you know there there's static information in there that stays the same from show to show. So that just lives in there. And it means that if you want to go in and make an edit to the template, you can do it. And the next template that gets created will be correct rather than having, you know, a text file, which is converted to HTML, which is shoved into Google Docs, which was the kind of hack that I was using before, which was okay, but it didn't result in very pretty documents. Yeah, I've been playing with the same thing for Mac Power users and auto-generating the template. And this is not rocket science, just if you want to do it. No. And I guess that kind of gives me a bigger question is, what else are you doing with like Make slash Integromat and Zapier and some of the other web tools? I, what's, your, um, what's your involvement with those at this point? I mean, there's a whole bunch of things happening that I just don't even think about anymore. Because, well, magic just happens and projects appear in OmniFocus or documents appear in... in uh, file finder or Devon think or wherever they need to be. And I, I'm not, I'm not thinking about it, which is really the magic. Um, so I'm just opening make right now to just double check because I know I've got a lot of different things in here, um, which, you know, help me keep track of things. Um, so one I've recently done is Amazon returns. If I return something to Amazon, this doesn't happen very often. Um, I try to be, you know, smart when I buy something. So I'm not constantly doing returns. It's not great for the environment or anything else. Um, but whenever I do an Amazon return, um, it grabs that email, that email gets forwarded to it. I use Fastmail's rules to forward that to a, a mail hook at, at make, um, and it grabs a bunch of information out of it and adds that as a task or actually a project in OmniFocus. So I've got, a, I end up with a, a, a auto-completing project, which will, um, complete with the last item. And then inside of it, it's got print label, package, item for return, um, and then drop off parcel for return. Um, only it doesn't just say parcel, it'll actually tell me what the parcel is at all those steps because that information is grabbed out of the email. Um, and that has been 
very useful just because it means that I I don't forget and accidentally try and return something too late as very nearly, but fortunately didn't happen before. Uh, I, I thought I had another week to return something and discovered uh, very shortly before the post office closed that I did not. Um, so fortunately was able to make it down there. But what I'm doing with that is I'm just p- matching text in the, in the email and then I'm calling Pushcut and Pushcut is adding the OmniFocus project for me with uh, the information that um, I need for that. Um, and there's a, a lots of different things that are, are going on. You know, whenever um, uh, I get, there's a tweet about iOS today, um, I get sent that information in such a way that I can tap on it to retweet and so on and so forth, which I really like. Yeah. I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to use more cloud-based stuff, like automating the uh, Mac power users is one that I've been working on lately. Um, what are the auto parts of your life you want to automate that you haven't, you know, what are the areas out there that what's the, where's the blue sky rose? I mean, laundry, if I could have like a magic machine that just made laundry disappear and then reappear clean, dry, folded and in the drawers or hung up on the hangers, that would be amazing. Uh, I did um, have a very brief Google at one point to see whether or not I could find a machine that would help fold piles of laundry. And the conclusion I came to is they are uh, twice to four times the size of a washing machine, considerably less um, efficient and very likely to break if they exist. Um, and the only one that I found that seemed to vaguely have information was just, yeah, us only. Um, but there, there's a lot of things. One of the things that I feel like is totally lacking in automation and really could use it is meal planning, um, and shopping lists from meal planning, because if I'm going to make spaghetti bolognese, there's a fairly set list of ingredients that I need. Um, and I have briefly started looking into something called Grocy, G-R-O-C-Y, which can help like keep track of what's in your fridge um, with you and, and things like that. But I've yet to actually sit down and properly go through and create a list of all the things that I have and start tracking what I'm consuming so that it can add things back to my list when I need to buy them um, and and do meal planning in such a way. And I feel like that's that's something that's, once I do it, it'll be, why didn't I do this before? But at the moment, I'm I'm still not i'm not there yet so even rosemary orchard has some things she hasn't automated yet <laughs> well if anybody has a complete laundry automation system um then i'm i'm interested let me know um because i'm looking for that unfortunately i, I think the answer to that is either um do laundry more frequently so it's less of a chore or pay somebody else to do my laundry which eh, they're both valid options uh, i just need to figure out you know, how, how much more frequently do I need to do laundry to make this less of a problem? All right. Before we go, we, we've gone along uh, today, but before we go, let's just take a few minutes to check in on initial impressions of the Stream Deck pedal. Like I've just got mine. I just got it installed and set up. Um, I'll tell you a couple things I like about it. Um, I like that it's cabled, which sounds weird, but I had been trying a Bluetooth pedal system um, and it was constantly turning off or not paired and it just wouldn't stay there. So if you tap on the pedal and nothing happens, then you very quickly lose faith in it. So as, as much as it is a pain to run a cable up the desk, it is, uh, it's actually nice because it's just always responsive. Uh, yeah. Another thing I like about it is that it's got different shapes for the pedals. The other mistake with the one I had before was they were all the exact same shape. 
So I don't oh, know. Right, yeah. I, I was referring to it in the Max Barkey Labs video as pedal braille, but I don't know what the word is. But like with your foot, you can tell where you are without looking at it. And that's a nice feature that they've got on the on the Stream Deck pedal. They also, you know, because it's Elgato, they they did a lot of nice little things. Like they included additional springs if you want to make them tighter or looser to press. They even put some rubber things in there where you can literally like turn the middle pedal off. You can put them in there and make it so you can't press it. So if you're resting your foot on it, but I'm not giving up a third button, right? Oh no, no, God no. Uh, need all the buttons, definitely all the buttons. And then the other thing I like about it is that it's a stream deck, right? So all the stuff I'm doing is stream deck, keyboard, maestro scripts, whatever, I can now stick on my feet. So my initial impression is this is going to be useful for me. I haven't exactly figured out all the ways I'm going to use it. Although um, I have got a mute button now connected to the center pedal when I podcast, which is nice. Yes. Yeah. I am really, really liking it, especially um, because I record iOS Today live every week um, and we display our devices on screen. It, it's, it's, a, it's a podcast with video. So we're displaying our devices as we talk. And so switching between just me on camera versus me and an iPhone or me, an iPad with me overlaid on top of it. Um, that's something I was doing before with the Stream Deck, um, but I found, um, and I, I need to figure out, I'm going to have to pick your brain, David, the correct way to do this, um, because I find different profiles on the Stream Deck tend to, for want of a better word, bounce back. So it'll be in whatever profile I've selected, so I'll, I'll set it to, say, the Automator's profile. And then after a little while, I'll glance down at my Stream Deck, and those buttons that I thought were the buttons in the profile... Yeah, they're actually back to my default buttons um, in my default profile. And I'm not quite sure why that is. I guess it's because uh, the Stream Deck doesn't anticipate that you're going to spend an hour and a half still jumping through different applications, but on the same task. And so it bounces you back to your default. Um, And this is the same sort of thing. I've, I've got it a little bit with the pedal as well. So what I'm doing at the moment, which I need to figure out a much better way of, is I'm actually... Going, I open up the Stream Deck preferences and I change my default profile for the pedal for each podcast that I do so that I've got different buttons available to me. Um, and then when I'm, I'm not podcasting, I, I set it back to my actual default default um, because otherwise I find, you know, I, I press the foot pedal or, and I had this before where I was pressing buttons. Fortunately, they're, they're, they are buttons that are blank on my default profile. Um, but I press it and nothing would happen. And then I glance down at the stream deck and go, oh, that's because there's no button there. And I now have to open the correct profile while I'm podcasting and trying to do all the other things. Um, so I need to figure out why why it's bouncing back or um, just the correct way to solve this problem. Yeah, I, I, I haven't had that problem yet, but I haven't been using it that long. Uh, one big mistake I made was it, it prompted me said, do you want to copy your profiles from oh, your stream deck yeah. to your, your and I just clicked yes without thinking. Well, of course, I have a stream deck with 30 buttons and then a, a thing with three buttons. That was really dumb to copy those profiles over. So I'm going to delete them all, which you can do. And if you delete them on the panel, it does not delete them for the stream deck. So, no. so I'm going to delete them all and start over. But I uh, I think there's something to this. I just have to figure out, like I, I was playing with in the in the Max Market Labs video where I set up the Safari to move between tabs with the right or left tab on the thing. You know, you could like mm-hmm. navigate. That doesn't really make sense. I can do that just as quickly with my fingers. I don't think I need to put that on my foot. And that that's really the thing, right? Is like what goes 
down to the foot yeah. and what doesn't. Um, podcasting, yes. mute the mic, of course. Like um, the podcast time stamp stuff, of course. I think Zoom is another great option for this. Like, wouldn't it be great if you just mash with your foot that it mutes your mic? Um, yes. or changes cameras or whatever. And so there are things where I think where you're on camera or like in the thick of battle, like we, when we're recording a podcast, I think using your foot makes a lot of sense. There's other things I'm not sure it makes as much sense, but mm-hmm. honestly, this thing doesn't have to be useful in every context to pay for it's no. free. I mean, I think it's just nice to have it. It is really nice to have it. And I have to say, I I didn't think I'd get much mileage out of it at work. You know, I'm a developer. I'm a software developer. Um, And, you know, I frequently end up sitting in the weirdest positions, despite the fact that I've got an air on, um, which is, you know, designed so that it's really difficult to sit badly in this chair. I still somehow manage it. Um, But I found actually it has got quite a bit of utility. You know, um, I'm going into, you know, meeting mode, you know, hit the button with my foot. I don't have to, you know, reach down and, and look at the, the buttons on my stream deck for that because that's that's just a bunch profile that I I want to have available at pretty much any moment. Um actually it's a screen sharing one I think now that now I'm thinking about it that I trigger. Um but it it's really useful to be able to do that. Um or just set all my window layouts back to the normal layout please. You know, I've been shuffling things around and rearranging them for fixing this problem. Um I'm now starting on a new problem, just reset everything to the way it should be. Um, and that, that's been really handy to have just because I, I actually enjoy having those things available without having them take up icons on my stream deck, which I try to keep, um, you know, just to the things that I want to be able to, you know, reach down and hit a button. But I, I'm thinking about which button it is when I hit it. Whereas the pedals, I don't think I just, I just tap, which I think is the difference there for me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's early. I think we'll talk about this more. I think both of us are going to kind of develop workflows around it. But my initial impression is I am not sending this back. I think it's cool and I'm going to be using it. And uh, I've tried pedals before. They've never worked. But this one already feels like it's a keeper. Yes. The only time that I've had a problem with it, David, I thought it wasn't working the other day. And I was very concerned that my streamed up pedal was just like dead or something. Um, it turns out I've been rearranging my desk and I'd unplug the cable. Um, so pro tip, if you unplug it, you need to plug it back in again. Yeah. That that does help if it's plugged in. That does help. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out if it's not plugged in, uh, I kind of wish that there was a, a like easy way to tell by looking at the device um, from at the very least where I've got it, that it's not plugged in. Um, but also if I'd opened the stream deck software a little bit earlier and checked on the pedal, it would have said not connected. Um, just like it did when I finally opened it and went, Oh, that's why. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. I, no, I, I think it's cool. And I just like all the little touches that Elgato is shipping instead of a six foot or a five foot cable, it's a 10 foot cable. And because I have a desk yeah. that's a sit stand desk. 10 foot is really kind of the minimum length I need to make it so it will work when the desk is uh, standing mode or sitting mode. So that, yes. but, the, but the cable's long enough, you know, it's like, that's cool. And yes. And it's a braided cable as well. It's not just one of those really, really cheap cables where the, the coating will fall off the second you look at it. It's a nice braided one. Yeah. No, I, I, I do like the little touches of Elgato stuff. I, I feel like I'm becoming like, um, an Elgato fanboy, but they just, they really do good stuff. I, I heard from a Mac power users listener that said Elgato was formed by, I think it was the people that did, I want to say logic. Um, 
and then they got into hardware and they've got some former Apple people there. Whatever's going on over there, I'm a fan. I mean, like, like I've got their XLR box now, I've got their mic stand and man, it's just all good quality stuff that you, you don't regret buying like so much of the stuff yeah. these days. All right. Um, well, that's it. Uh, uh, we are the automators podcast. I want to thank our friends. Uh, we've got several sponsors today helping us out at electric text expander, Devon think and hover. They help us keep the lights on. Please go check out those links and check out their great products. Um, we now have uh, Automators Max. We're going to be doing that today. Rose is getting into the hardware business uh, or kind of, right? So we're going to talk about that. Yep. She's developing her own hardware. I want to hear the story about that. So uh, for Automators Max listeners, you can get that. Thanks for listening. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. You can find the website at automators.fm. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everyone.